Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny's guests, Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark. And all three of them will be discussing the latest book, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. So tune in and learn how to transform the way conflict affects your love life. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we are here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW, and very soon also out of KPCA, Petaluma, California. So, (laughs) yeah. Um, But no matter where we're broadcasting from, we're always bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, of course, you've always had those archives available at 1150kknw.com. And I was very late to the party in realizing that Sunny in Seattle has been a podcast on iTunes and Podcast One for about six months now. That's so, <laughs> so you can find it there as well if you like me like to listen to podcasts because the SoundCloud navigation on um, you know a website isn't always as easy as accessing it from your smartphone on one of your podcast platforms that you enjoy. So you can find Sunny in Seattle there. Maybe we'll have to do like an official launch kind of once we get everything, um, once I get my arms around it a little more so I can ask you all for reviews and uh, to get some some, I guess... Uh, recognition of it so that it will show up more in searches and all that good stuff. Okay, so uh, in terms of housekeeping, I've got a couple of things to mention here. Um, Of course, you can always find out more about me, connect with me for coaching through my website, Golden Oversoul. But um, I want to mention to you all, um, we are in, the doors are open for um, Soul Digger, the Founders Club. So just a little background. You may have remembered that back in May um, of this year, I did a beta of my Soul Digger program. And Soul Digger has been a passion project of mine. Really, I've had the little thing, the, the, the idea on notes since 2013, very soon after I left my old life behind. But I haven't actually brought it out into the world until now. Um, and so I did that in a beta form with a really wonderful group of women um, back in May, and we did it as a five-week program. But what I learned from them, and this is the fun of doing a beta for anyone out there who wants to, has an idea for a program or something they want to do to work with people, um, a beta is an awesome way to build the plane as you fly it and get some great feedback. And one of the things I learned, so um, in terms of what we do in Soul Digger, really the thrust of it is living a soul, soul-driven soul life. Um, because, you know, I think we're in human bodies for a reason, and it's fun to have the small self and the ego because that's how we know who we are and how we're separate from other people. But we also have a soul, and uh, I think the soul is the place where our best destiny and the blueprint for our best life is held. And for many years, I did not live according to that blueprint. I lived only according to the small self. But I think there's a really beautiful way where you bring your soul into the picture, and that's where your greatest courage, power, fulfillment, purpose, joy, all the things I talk about on the show, peace, joy, freedom, and purpose, the biggies, that is where you find those. And so I, um, in working with these women back in May, um, I discovered that this is not supposed to be a finite program. Um, We call it a spiritual practice for a reason. And I think remembering who we truly are 
as a divine, empowered, spiritual being having a human experience. Thank you, uh, what is it, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, um, for that beautiful quote about, you know, we are we are not um, uh, humans having a spiritual experience, but spiritual beings having a human experience. And this um, new Founders Club that I'm doing for Soul Digger is basically the beta of the group or the membership program an ongoing um, week-to-week, month-to-month program where we will, as Ram Dass says, walk each other home um, and align with our souls. And I've learned various ways to do this, and I think this is where I've curated basically everything I have been doing for the past uh, five years since I was certified as a life coach with Martha Beck and then a master coach. And all of the amazing people, I was doing the math, and I think I've done around 250 interviews at this point, or we're getting close to that. Usually there's a book that goes along with it. And so I, you know, I love this stuff. I'm obsessed with it. So if you don't have time to read a book a week or talk to these people, let me bring the resources to you. And we're going to do this living the soul-driven life by um, clearing our mind, which is just basically mind management, cleaning the body. This is how we, you know, give the ultimate connection source to our soul you know this is our body is the interface between spirit and matter and so there are ways that you can really encourage great clear communication with your soul by supporting your body we'll be doing that we'll also be connecting the spirit you know really filling the well with sources and teachers that uh inspire you and get you energized and then of course there's the element of being in the human experience and that's where we're going to take it out into the world so I would love for you to join me um, in this uh, Soul Digger Founders Club. Um, you can find out more. We start October 2nd, so you've got you know a little bit of time to think about it. Um, but I have a website set up for it, so the best way to get there and find out more is to go to my website, goldenoversoul.com, and right there on the homepage under my picture, you will see a link to get more details and join. Um, so I invite you to check it out. And this is basically for the Founders Club. I'm going to ask that you all join for three months. And um, if you join at this time, I'm going to keep the price per month the same, no matter how many bells and whistles I add in the future, starting in 2020 and beyond. And um, there's some other perks in there for you. But um, we're going to spend the last quarter of 2019 together as soul diggers. And um, I would love for you to join me in the Founders Club. So again, goldenoversoul.com. And just look right under my picture. And there's a link to find out more and to join us now if you are interested. Okay, Benny, quick uh, check in with you. How are you? Hi, doing very well. And uh, don't worry about being late. You're fashionably late. So it's totally acceptable. (laughs) As I said last week, though, it's ridiculous because sweet Eric Crema, who manages everything, sent the email out, and somehow I just uh, missed exactly what was happening. It's quite all right. You're a busy gal. You got a lot on your plate. You know, don't worry about the little O here radio station in Seattle. I'm just kidding. (laughs) You're doing great. Keep it up, girl. You keep it up. Well, anyway, I believe in divine right timing, and quite frankly, if I had been on top of that back in January, it wouldn't have been... Um, there are just some reasons I think that that it happened now, and so yeah, I trust in the timing. I just am like, sorry guys, oh, I thought it worked it perfectly. Was. It's working perfectly. <laughs> anyway, 
Okay, so on to our amazing guest for today. Um, and it has been a couple years, maybe even three years since they have been on, but I'm so excited to welcome them back because they have a new book out called The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. So I'm talking about Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark. They are the co-founders of Thrive Inc. They've spent 20 years helping men, women, couples, and teams to resolve difficult conflicts and create strong, thriving relationships. Um, they've written two books, of course, The Beauty of Conflict, which um, I believe that's what we were talking about uh, when they first came on the show. And then now we've got The Beauty of Conflict, specifically for couples. Um, they've given presentations on conflict resolution, communication, teamwork, and creative problem solving at Fortune 100 companies like Johnson & Johnson, Microsoft, AT&T, and Nationwide, as well as at organizations like the Gates Foundation, the University of Washington Medical Center, and the San Francisco Giants. Um, they've also run transformational retreats for couples several times a year, including the Couples Mojo and Couples Alive retreats. Uh, and they live and work in Northwest Montana. You can find out more by going to thriveinc.com. That's thriveinc.com. And they're also there under Thrive, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah, and actually I was going to, I had another <laughs> another little couple pieces of their bio that I missed out on, but I love this part. Um, um, so you all in Montana, you live close to spacious fields and horses. Those are Susan's favorite and several good restaurants with excellent wine selections. And that's what Chris Marie loves. <laughs> so, uh, welcome back to sunny in Seattle, gals. Oh, we are thrilled to be here. This is Chris Marie. Susan, yes, we're excited to be on again. And it was two years ago. That's when we published our last book. So Okay. Well, come in full circle. And I love, and you also had, you've been doing this also, the beauty of conflict uh, within companies, right? Or work situations? Yes, we do. Uh, typically, we'll often do a two-day offsite, the beauty of conflict. And it's really a team building experience because teams, all teams, or many teams have struggled with conflict. Anytime you get it, uh, two or more people together, we kind of step <laughs> on each other's toes, even inadvertently. And right. So, <laughs> we typically do a two-day offsite to kind of build some trust, teach them about conflict, and then work on their strategy so that they get to creative and innovative results that they wouldn't have gotten through before if we hadn't supported them having those real conversations. That's really what it's about. Right. Yeah. And I and I want to say before we even dive in, um, I saw that Mama Gina did uh, some advanced praise for you all. And I thought, whoa, that's a pretty good get. Um, so how do you know Mama Gina? Or have you worked with her at her School of Womanly Arts? Well, I was a student of hers for a couple of years and really to kind of own my own feminine power because we have such a patriarchal culture and we're we're brought up to be so productive and efficient and we're missing a lot of feminine essence. And so I have really loved her book and loved her programs. And even Layla Martin is another person in that area where it's really helping women own their juiciness and and we can be successful and be women at the same time and own our sexuality. And I, I've re it's really helped transform my, in, in a lot of ways, my happiness. I'm a lot more happy versus more driven, which is- I'm actually enjoying it too, even though I haven't- <laughs> I did not take the program, but I've gotten some of the benefits and have enjoyed I'm sure. it. Yes, I love reading the book and various things, seeing Chris Marie come alive in her juiciness inspires me to do the same. Well, we need that. I mean, thank goodness for Mama Gina. And I have to say what your your um, takeaways from working with her, you know, how it really it's brought out your happiness and your juiciness and celebrated so many things that we're not 
brought up to celebrate. Gosh, I mean, she is doing such good work in the world, and I'm so happy that you had the opportunity to be a student of hers and that she obviously supports your book and your work. Yes, she has that front cover quote on there, which is really, I'm just so thrilled. Absolutely. Well, big congrats on all of the things. Thank you. Um, Yeah. So, uh, you know, let's just start out. One of the things that you are asking in this book is what if conflict can be a beautiful thing? And I think most people would do a little bit of a what? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, how can conflict in your experience be a beautiful thing to just kind of set the stage for where we're going today? Okay. Well, first, this is Susan. And, you know, when we were contemplating our titles, we, you know, tried to entertain the, we didn't call it the joy of conflict, the comfort of conflict, the ease of conflict. We specifically picked beauty, the beauty of conflict, because beauty has depth. It has that kind of richness of all the differences, you know, the discomforts, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the beautiful and things. And that's actually what makes something beautiful. And we really wanted to uh, imply that, you know, in there's beauty when you deal with differences, that if you deal with differences, as opposed to avoiding them or managing them, that's when all of that goodness comes out into something that's really rich and creative. And it's, it's not that we're, we weren't trained in conflict. We usually did not have good role models. So it's often uncomfortable, but you can learn to uh, you can learn new skills now, which help you hang in for those differences, and you can come up with creative solutions, innovative solutions to the same old problems that you keep bumping into. Yeah, and another thing that came up in this book, and interestingly, a comment from um, when I posted this on social media that I was going to be interviewing you all um, with, of course, the book cover and the title and all the good stuff. Um, she she's a friend of mine from a, a media event that I went to last year. She is an attorney. Um, and of course I'm a recovering attorney. Um, she <laughs> is still, I think she's still practicing. Um, she does immigration law. I mean, much needed obviously right now, but, um, she was saying in her comments that she loves conflict. And I was like, of course you would be too. <laughs> she's, she obviously thrives in that, that environment. But what she made a really good point, which was one of the same things that I've heard you all say in this book and otherwise, and I'd never really thought about it this way, um, that that there's a lot of energy um, when you have conflict and you can do one of two things with the energy, use it in a positive way and really channel it, use that tension and, and turn it into something good or let it just blow up the whole darn thing. And I, I would love it if you could speak a little bit, because, you know, this is a we're this is a spiritual, metaphysical show. Like, there is energy there, and I'd never thought about channeling it toward good versus evil type of a thing. Well, for sure, there's that energy that we think is potential energy. And mm-hmm. it comes up because there's energy that comes up inside of me and between me and you when we are in a conflict. And the thing is, we don't really know how to handle that. And so we usually that's either we repress it. And so then I have internal conflict and it's not externalized, which leads to health issues. And it also leads to division in relationship. Or I find a coping mechanism that's not very healthy. And I just, you know, go off and do my own thing, or I, I kind of smooth things over. And you're not accessing that energy for good for innovation. And we the whole the book is about really leaning into it and finding ways to change your own response to that so that you can tolerate the tension. Really, that's it. We're not used to tolerating that tension to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Susan. Well, and that 
if you can tolerate that tension, then that is what leads to transformation health, whether it's internally, like for me, it was, a, I changed my life around a health crisis because I was willing to allow conflict to surface and do and handle it differently. I think it happens in couples. We see this all the time where, you know, it can seem like this is, there's no way this is going to work. And actually when the, the support is there and they realize, wait a minute, we can come to our edges of our differences and hold each other there and talk about it and come to something that's beyond what either thought was possible. And we've seen the same things with teams and organizations. So it happens. It's, it's really our greatest human potential and we don't always recognize and it. It's free. And it's free. And it's free. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I love, I love that you, I was just about to say, there's so much potential there. And of course, Susan, you said it, you said it first. Yeah. There's, there's so much potential there where I don't, think that people normally realize it as an energetic potential, but it really is. And, and we're going to dive into exactly how that is um, as we get further into the show. Um, but one of the things I wanted to start out with, because I love stories, and you all have a very interesting story, and I've, I've interviewed maybe, oh, I can count on one hand how many couples I've interviewed who also work together. Um, and so I'm curious how you all not only um, uh, your, you know, your backgrounds, because our family of origins shape how we view and believe about conflict, but also, you know, how you all came together and then how you all work together. Can, can you share a little bit of your story? Sure. Uh, well, I met Susan, uh, when I saw her facilitate this group of people that were in conflict and she stood up to this, what I would call in just to label it, to make it simple, kind of a bully. And I was like, oh my gosh. And she didn't do it all smooth. She was actually met his energy and she seemed so powerful. And I'm like, oh my gosh, because mm. I, I wanted to work with her. I wanted to know her because my background is I grew up with an army colonel dad that was, you know, kind of angry all the time. So every night at dinner, when I was like running the gauntlet, hoping he wouldn't explode. And I spent, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about 10,000 hours to develop a competency. I spent 10,000 hours around the dinner table learning conflict avoidance. I would do anything to diffuse, manage, you know, you know, ask a question, change the subjects, anything to calm dad down because it was, it was often violent if, if he wasn't, uh, if he did explode, which he did often. So when I saw Susan, I was like, I want to learn how to do that. And so I actually brought her into the corporate environment. We started working together and we also then started creating our romantic relationship and we would get into conflict and I'd be like, oh my gosh, it's over. This is, you know, I'm out of here. I must've been out of here. I don't know, like six, seven times in that first beginning. <laughs> Susan says it's more than that. And Susan would be like, no, I want to hear your opinion, even if it's different. And she was kind of yelling at it like that. And I was like, ah, and, but I, I really, started to believe her. And so I started, because what, what happened with my dad is I started to believe that my opinion didn't matter. So I stopped bringing forward my thoughts, my feelings, what I wanted, because I thought my job was to look outside and please and, you know, achieve and please. Mm -hmm. I became a pleaser. And so in my relationship with Susan, she really wanted me to show up. And that seemed what? That seemed so different. <laughs> but when I did, we would wind up coming up with a solution. It wasn't like, well, it's going to be my way or her way. We would come up with something that was unique like and even better than what we had. And I thought, this stuff really works. So we started doing that in the corporate environment. And then about 10 years into that, we started, we designed, we co-designed with two other 
heterosexual couples, uh, Couples Alive series up at the Haven. And we started leading that. And um, it's just been, I've seen it so often where teams, couples, if you learn to hang in, you're going to come up with something so much more juicy than what you had before. And so for me, this is Susan, I, you know, I, one thing, why we got together probably for me was that I was like, oh, this is this Olympic athlete, this woman who to me just represented, I guess I was a wannabe jock, you know, I, I played many sports, but never got to that level. And I was so thrilled to get to meet an Olympic athlete. And it was kind of funny because she just about bit my head off <laughs> when I asked her about the Olympics. Like, oh, you know, no. And yeah. she was like, you know. I'm, I we didn't get a goal. I'm a loser. And I, I just was like stunned. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I may have even, I, I just, I may have even I laughed. I think you laughed I at think me. I probably she did. did. Like, Which shocked me, and, by and the way. I, and I was like, that, you need, you need to get over that story. Because that is the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Like, you know, I mean, what does that make me? Like, you know, I'm like, right. you know. And uh, to, to her credit, she did go back and do the work to kind of own her Olympic story, which is an, an amazing experience. Well, now I do a keynote on it, so yeah. I have recovered. You know, <laughs> and I, I do, you know, for me, what I, I learned early was that, you know, conflict, why I think conflict is so important, how I even think it saved my life was that I was really stuck in a story. As a matter of fact, I had a cancer process, lots was going on. There was a lot of internal conflict in me. And then when I actually started to bring it up and out, it actually created tremendous conflict outside of me. No one was happy with me starting to speak up, but I also started to get healthier. So I really got the correlation between if I speak my truth and come forward, that conflict that could be killing me inside is now out. And I have the opportunity to engage with it. The other thing that it taught me was that you know, that conflict teaches me in relationship now is I can so easily get stuck in my own story. And often my own story is creating a tremendous amount of suffering for me. I wish it was always creating joy, but <laughs> you know, maybe I, I got the wrong wiring when, when I, you know, so, but it helps me to engage with other people and realize there are other possibilities. There's not just one narrative. There are so many different stories so that when I am stuck in mine, if I'm willing to bring it forward and be curious and interested, I'm going to get another perspective. I'm going to get another opportunity to write the story. And that is something that is incredibly powerful and empowering. Absolutely. And one of the things I will just comment on, especially for those out there listening, um, I really love how you all included stories from your own personal life. Um, you know, from uh, the, I, I laughed, um, one of the ones that you included about when you first started co-facilitating, uh, <laughs> workshops together and what would you mind sharing the story? Well, one, I, so here I am, I'm a big consultant in a top five consulting firm and I bring Susan in because she's an expert in conflict. And I'm like, okay. And we had a real sticky situation, sexual harassment lawsuit and new boss. And anyway, so I pick her up from the airport and, um, she's wearing jeans and a sweater and I am like horrified because, <laughs> but I don't say anything. I, I just, I asked her a question as I would do as a conflict avoider. I'm like, do you need to go to the hotel and change? And she's, <laughs> she's like, no, I'm fine. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So we get in there and I'm busy setting up the flip charts, moving the tables around. And, and this is before we were eating very healthy. So we'd stop by McDonald's and picked up breakfast. And, 
And Susan's sitting there eating her McDonald's and uh, the clients start to come in and I'm just like horrified because she just sits there and eats. And I'm, I go over and I give her that stink eye and I'm like, you know, get up and introduce yourself. I just thought she was kind of like had gone mad. I was watching the amount of effort and work going on in the room. Like, what is she doing? You know, but anyway, I had no idea I was eating my egg McMuffin. And uh, so, and, and then to boot, I grabbed her McDonald's bag in one felt swoop. I grabbed the bag and I tossed it in the trash. Like you cannot be doing this. I, I have to, you know, I did have a moment of chuckle because I had to tell her that her telephone was in the McDonald's bag. <laughs> so I was humbly, you know, scrambling to get my cell phone out. And then we go along in the day and what's happening is this one person is kind of holding the team hostage. And she, she keeps saying, I can't talk about it. I can't talk about it because it's part of this lawsuit. And the boss is letting her kind of get away with it. And so the team's not getting anywhere. And so at lunchtime, Susan pulls the boss <laughs> and this person together and says, listen, you're holding this team hostage and we're not going to get anywhere. And, and you, boss, you need, you know, and she's, she's basically like being really firm. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, we are going to get fired. And... <laughs> And lo and behold, though, and I just was thinking, this is why they hired me to say these things <laughs> that no one else was saying. That seemed pretty obvious to me. But Which is what Susan, I mean, that is what her brilliance is. She will say what people are not willing to say, but what needs to be said. Otherwise, things aren't going to go forward. And lo and behold, the woman shifted. She was willing to let us give her feedback. The team moved on, and then we could get to their strategy. We, we, the, you know, they had to process their upset. Everybody was angry at something, and then we moved on, and they got to how they were going to work together, their decision making, their strategy. We took them through that whole arc, and they became our biggest proponents. But it was this whole thing about risking saying something that will upset somebody else, which is a consultant, you know, classical consult consultant. You just don't do that. But it really became much more real. And that's what everybody is longing for is real conversations. We're just terrified in the workplace and often in our relationship to go there. And it's what transforms the dynamic instantly. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and bringing it back to you all is this, I noticed when you said, Chris Marie, you didn't say anything to Susan when you picked her up or when the McDonald's was being eaten in the room and all that, because you were in that romance stage oh, of the right. relationship. And can you speak a little bit to how that plays into oh. why romance is not great for conflict generally? Yes. Well, even Romance is good to start a relationship with. We all have romances. And what it is, is we see this other person, like Susan standing up to a bully, and I think, oh my gosh, she's going to take care of me. You know, she's going to be the strong one. And I'm not saying any of that. That's just my romance. And it's basically I'm having a relationship with my imagination. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's this perfect picture, and it's all my hopes and dreams, but I'm not externalizing it. And then as we go forward, I get to know more about Susan, and she's not living up to this character in my movie, and I'm really upset about it. So then I, so around the clothing thing, she wasn't, you know, she wasn't dressing the way I wanted to. So rather than being direct about it and saying, you know, I think you need to dress up more, I took her to Nordstrom's and a personal shopper, and I had prearranged the personal shopper. All the suits were on the walls, and Susan's like, "What the heck is this?" <laughs> And, you know, she did, it didn't work, but we try to hint and move the person over and manage them rather than being direct and honest. And I think Susan also had a romance about me 
in that oh, whole. Yeah, I mean, you know, an Olympic Olympic athlete. I was like, of course she's going to be wanting to go biking, hiking, be in the great outdoors. And we did go on a bike ride in Seattle on a tandem bike. <laughs> and, and it was, I think we were definitely in the romance because uh, I thought she was loving it. We were having a great time. <laughs> I didn't find out till years later that she wasn't even pedaling. Oh, okay. Well, maybe she I'm was telling too much. I was pretty miserable. She whatever was, was happening. And I, you know, uh, and I, I won't give away. There's like two biking stories in, in the book. <laughs> the other bike, and neither of them end with my romantic imagination. <laughs> but but I continue to get her bikes. Like there's still roots of it. I have I, I have had like every Four time I get bikes. a bike, I get a bike for her. We never go biking. <laughs> But the romance still has its little things. I'm onto a Peloton now because I figure maybe we could do that together. <laughs> but awesome. these these romances drive us forward. And then when the person isn't participating, that's when we get these manipulative strategies, thinking that's going to work. And what happens is it starts to escalate. We then start to blame our partner because they're not showing up the way we want them to. We start to control them. We get into right, wrong. And that's when we bump into that conflict, that energy. Yeah. Yes. And that's, I think this is a good place, which we're probably, I just looked up at the clock and 15 minutes had gone by and I hadn't even noticed <laughs> loving this conversation, but this is probably a good place to take our break. So when we come back, we can really dive into the content in the book. Um, so you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. I am joined today by Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark, return guests to Sunny in Seattle. They have a fantastic new book out called The Beauty of Conflict for Couples. So this is all about how to apply the beauty of conflict to your love life. Um, and we will be back in just a few. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available today on Amazon.com. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. Alternative Talk 1150 is your sports organization's safe bet when it comes to airing your team's games. Our players are all seasoned professionals when it comes to sports programming. Imagine your games being heard on local radio. Your team deserves the MVP treatment. Call 425-653-1150 today to learn how affordable and fun it is to broadcast your games on the radio. Call 425-653-1150 and make your next season something special. That's 425-653-1150. What do trees make you think of? Life, longevity, health? There's a reason for that. They're the building blocks of our ecosystems, capable of restoring land and environment while creating stable food systems and economic opportunity. At Trees for the Future, for 30 years, we've worked with smallholder farmers in developing countries to establish sustainable agroforestry methods 
Where there was once deforestation and poor agricultural practices, there are now thriving microenvironments we call forest gardens, made up of more than 50 species of trees and dozens of shrubs, fruits, and vegetables. Through Trees for the Future's forest garden approach, thousands of farming families have successfully brought their land back to life. A sustainable solution to hunger, poverty, and climate change. Sponsored by Trees for the Future. You're invited to join the movement at trees.org slash radio. Find our app in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store and take us with you wherever you go. Alternative Talk, AM 1150. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. I am joined today by Chris Marie Campbell and Susan Clark, the authors of uh, The Beauty of Conflict for Couples, among other books in the Beauty of Conflict series. Um, so before the break, we were sharing some fun stories from the book. These are personal anecdotes that that Susan and Chris, um, you know, share in the book because I think it really brings home a lot of the points that you make, and it makes it really personal. Um, I know for many years, I don't know if it was hmm, the community that I was in or I, the, the friends that I hung out with, but not many people talked about their relationships being anything other than sunshine and roses. And so when I, <laughs> yeah, when I was in a pretty high conflict marriage um, and dating up to the marriage, it was still pretty high conflict. Um, I just thought there was something wrong with me or this was just the way that it was. And so I really, um, I really applaud you all and appreciate you being so authentic and honest because it really, it makes the material in the book that much more tangible, I think, for folks out there. Well, well thank you, Sunny. Go ahead, but we, You know, it's interesting because we found, like we do couples programs and what's most interesting about doing them is I think couples come in a little bit like, oh, I don't know, how's this going to be with other couples? But what happens is couples we're, we're, they work in their own couple with us, but at the same time, we're all together. And they begin to realize this is normal. I'm mm-hmm. not so odd. This is These things happen, and couples start to have real conversations with each other, which I agree with you. That just does not happen very often. And it's very powerful to realize, oh, wait a minute. There is not one way. There's not one right way to relate. There's so many different avenues, and each person has to develop a way to be with each other and make what they're doing okay. But it helps to have other people in the room saying, yeah, I've been down that road, you know, and so. Or we're not, we're not, we're not broken. Look at, look, they're struggling with the same thing. It's just normalizes because how could we all be sunshine and roses in our couple? (laughs) You know, we're human. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, before we go any further, I do want to ask you because when you guys talk about conflict and of course that's in the book title and it's, it comes up a lot in the book. What do you mean by conflict? Because I have to be honest, I, some of them, I've made some notes here. Some of what you defined uh, or uh, you included in terms of conflict was not something that I would have identified. Um, so how do you all define it? And I'll share kind of what I was thinking when I was reading it. Well, some, a classic definition is anytime there's an important topic, which might be just important to me and not Susan. So it's got some high stakes in it for me. And I've got some strong emotions and we're winding up having different opinions. That's a classic definition of what kind of the, the nexus it's of the conflict. Three ingredients of conflict. Yeah. Those three, when those things come together, either for one or more of you know one or the other person in a couple, there's likely to be conflict. And so, right there uh, is one definition. A lot of people don't think about it like that. And yeah. it, go ahead, Sandy. 
Oh, sorry. sorry. Go, please go ahead. I'll, <laughs> I'll jump in in a minute. <laughs> well, I was thinking about even I can have conflict and Susan would have no idea if I'm not willing to share what is happening for me. So I can feel really tense and I start to separate. Um, and if I'm not willing to define, we have the saying, no boundaries, no conflict. Meaning if I'm not willing to say, hey, this is what I want. And we talk about how to how to do that boundarying process. I want this. I don't want that. If I'm not showing up that way, I'm internalizing a lot of that inner conflict and it's not being externalized in our relationship, but it's still there. Yes. And and one of the things that really stood out to me, this is where I was like, oh, I'd never thought about conflict like this before, but you had a story in here that just brought it home so dramatically. So thoughts like, you know, of course there can be when people think about conflict, you may just think about, you know, yelling, screaming or tense voices or things like that. But also conflict can show up as uh, I wanting more intimacy in the relationship, um, not having much fun together anymore, wondering if your partner is attracted to you, uh, going along with your partner just because that's what they want, not being able to be yourself in the relationship or topics you just don't even talk about. And I'd never thought about that as being encompassed by conflict as a concept. But you shared this story in the book, and I think this can just go to show what happens when we're not communicating. Um, There was a woman, a couple, who they, gosh, I think it had been like three decades. They were no longer sleeping in the same room. They hadn't had sex in years. And it all stemmed when when you guys, maybe I should let you tell the story, but this (laughs) dramatically emphasizes why the communicating of these boundaries and communicating of the the, uh, just feelings is so important. Do you know which story I'm referring we, to? Yeah, said enough of it. That we finally, I was like, what story is it? I'm wondering. Oh, no, oh, no, I'm sorry. You're too much of a teaser. <laughs> but, and I really appreciate the list the, the that we, sh- that you sharing the list that we give in the book about how that, those unspoken things are still conflict because they're creating distance between you and your partner. So they're yes. topics to be resolved. And uh, this was, do you want to say it? Sure. Uh, So this was a couple that um, was with us and they had had, like you already said, they had had a long history of not having a good sexual relationship, had been distant for a long time. And then it came out in the conversation that at what, 30 years prior to that, an event had occurred where she had interpreted his reaction to her as being that he didn't wasn't attracted uh, to wasn't her. Wasn't attracted to her, you know, was repulsed by her. Like, and it was all from a reaction he had. And when she spoke about it, you could just, I mean, he, he had no idea mm-hmm. how much that had impacted her. They had, you know, moved to separate rooms, all sorts of things had happened. And what, what he said, you know, was like, wow, I, it was such a different response because he said, you know, in that moment, it had nothing to do with me not appreciating you. Um, she had, She had just had a baby and had an episiotomy and he was, he was a medical doctor and he was like, I do not want to hurt you. Um, you know, like he was feeling very more insecure and protective and, but she interpreted it as repulsion and it just crushed her. Of course, she's probably hormonal having a baby and all that sort of stuff, but it, they just never really cleared it up and it just got bigger and bigger. And you can see like the wedge getting deeper and deeper and deeper. So it was a huge relief when she finally was willing to reveal this is where this was the genesis of it. 
30 years earlier, and they completely healed their relationship. And she got to, ex he witnessed her expressing her anger about it in a really boundaried way. And he had just such more love and compassion for her and felt so sad that this is how it had happened. And I think we miss each other in relationships so often when we don't slow down to actually check those things out and find out, well, how did you, and you know, what is going on over there? Yeah, absolutely. And I just, I, I, I have seen similar things, but not with that amount of time. I mean, it really was such a long time that this one little seed had turned into a division that was the size of a mountain. Um, yeah. but, but as you mentioned, you brought up something that I definitely wanted to address because this comes up a lot in my practice too, um, that she was able to express her anger in a boundary way. So can we talk about anger? Because I think we, many people have a very um, avoidant reaction around anger. How do you, how do you advise folks in dealing with anger? Well, one, it's really important to separate anger from violence and too often we have them velcroed together. And, um, you know, so, cause violence is, is by definition or one definition is the crossing of someone's boundaries without permission. Uh, anger is simply an, is simply energy. And it's our, it's actually a really vital, important part of, of our energy system. Even in, in Chinese medicine, it's wood. It's the expression of spring. It's the kind of the what pops up and renews us because anger comes up when we know that something is off. There's been a crossing of maybe our own you know, boundary or something like that. And we need that anger to give us the impetus to make a different choice. Now, the problem is too often, you know, we aren't even aware of that. And we may have participated or been the victim of somebody else turning it into violence. But the key is to separate those two. And often when I, coaching clients that I get, often the women are uncomfortable with expressing their anger because they, we've been groomed to be nice and polite and women don't get angry. And this is a big thing in Mama Gina even, accessing your anger is a lot of ways of connecting to your juiciness and your aliveness because our anger is there for, for good reason. And so we talk about kind of a, a boundaried way, we call it a Vesuvius in the book, where you have uh, two minutes, we say we suggest two minutes, to really just let yourself express. And it's so foreign for so many people. But you know, when you do express your anger, you kind of, your eyes dilate, your cheeks get flushed. It's a, it's a real juicy experience. Mm -hmm. And the person can actually look quite beautiful. If you're not taking on their anger and you can just listen and witness, it is quite a refreshing experience and quite a connecting experience can be in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Because as you mentioned, you know, if we're, we really, we all desire authentic, honest communication. And sometimes that means we're angry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And when you don't have that, it's like something is, something is missing. You know, this part of being human. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit. Um, one of the things that I think is really important to mention, because we may have a lot of listeners out there who are thinking, well, gosh, I, you know, I'm doing the work here. I'm really trying to transform myself. I'm, uh, you know, taking all the classes and trying to apply all the modalities. But, uh, you know, my partner just won't change. And I, if they, if they won't change, I can't be happy. So how do you respond to folks who really feel like their happiness depends on what their partner wants to do or their partner just is really unwilling to change? Well, one, you know, we, we actually have now designed a whole program with that in mind because we realize so often people will call it, you know, especially women will want more in their relationship or whatever else. And they, it's like, but my partner won't 
do the work. And it's like, okay, you need to do the work first. Because really, if, if one person in a relationship does that work, you know, decides to take care of themselves, this is really actually helping them come back to their own, what we refer to in the book as their me access. What do you really think, feel, want? How can you begin to take on some, you know, understand what will help you be more alive in your life. Because if you start to take on that self, that type of self-responsibility and self-definition, you are going to become more attractive, more alive, more vibrant, and that is going to change the relationship. Um, you know, and it may change it. it you know, the person may get interested. They're going to get interested. Something's going to happen. <laughs> Usually we found it's a kind of exciting shift, and it really does lead either to the them doing more open and honest communication or something shifting. I mean, this happened for us in our relationship when, I don't know, a certain time into it, I decided, um, well, I want to actually do acting and I want to try out for plays. And this is when we were doing a lot of corporate work. So we're traveling constantly to San Francisco, wherever. And so I auditioned and Susan's like, oh, that sounds okay. And then I audition and I get a part and I tell her I've got a part in a play. And she's like, what? <laughs> like that means we can't travel. I can't travel for six weeks. So you're going to have to go do these events by yourself. And what started to happen is she, you know, Susan found some resentment in that, but it prompted her then to look at, Hey, what am I not doing to take care of myself? Yeah. So, and I had to tolerate because I was like, okay, never mind. I'll tell them I can't do it. And she's like, don't do that. Like, let me have my reaction. Hold on to yourself while I'm having my reaction. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't get to have my reaction. Yes, and that's, that's an important <laughs> part for me to be able to recognize. Oh, I need to. What do I need to do to take care of myself? If you know, if if that's what's happening. What because need. if you're feeling resent, resentful, which a lot of people are, it's usually because you are not doing what you need to do. If your partner got the promotion or they're they they're getting the accolades, what can you do in your life to do more things that are going to make you feel alive? And it doesn't mean your partner has to do them as well. It's just like, how can you take care of yourself? So it points you in that direction. Yeah. And you brought up another important point too. Um, and of course you go into this in great detail in the book with the tips and the suggestions for how to handle conflict and the me, the we, and the situation itself. But, you know, I think Chris Marie, I relate to um, a lot of what, you know, you were saying about, oh, I'll, I'm so sorry, I'll just quit and I'll just make, yeah. let's just make it better. And that very quick, like Russian apologize and try to sweep it all uh, behind you very quickly, where it's, it's okay to sit and let Susan or whoever it is that you're partnered with out there who's listening, it's okay to let them have their reaction, mm -hmm. that that's okay to hold that space. And I, I agree. And I had to learn to cultivate that because usually reaction meant danger. So I was going to, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. What do I need to do to fix it? And to recognize Susan is a unique, different human being and I'm not in danger. She's, you know, that was something I had to breathe and cultivate the tolerance to sit there and let her have her reaction and without thinking I have to change or fix it to actually, and it's a very intimate moment if I cannot try to fix it or change it or make her stop and just witness this person in their pain. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, the cost of continually doing the other is like, you know, I mean, the thing with Chris Marie, she may decide, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And then what happens is she gets more and more resentful. She gets even angrier with me. I don't even know that she's given something up. And, and all of a sudden we're in a big full blown fight. And I'm kind of like, 
how did we get here? You never told me you even wanted to do that. <laughs> right. You know? and, and so, you know, there's, it, it really does help to realize that there, if we don't talk about it, if we don't even risk the fact that there's going to be conflict and differences, we actually don't get to know each, we don't know each other. And we don't even know ourselves. Yeah. We talk about this relationship math. One whole person times one whole person equals a whole relationship. If I'm saying, well, I'm not going to bring this up or this doesn't matter, I show up halfway and Susan's showing up full, our relationship is still one half. Yeah. Mm. And then if she doesn't show up all the way, she shows up one half, one half times one half equals a quarter. It has diminishing returns on the relationship. So it's really important to keep, to risk coming forward and saying what you want and then taking care of it for yourself. Yes. And, you know, I have to say in reading the book, there's, there's so much, I, I really don't know that I even believe in irreconcilable differences <laughs> after reading your book, oh. like things that just cannot, cannot ever be worked through. But sometimes it is time to call it quits. And you had a lovely uh, quote in here that I wanted to share. And I was curious to get your take on it because clearly in my practice, when women are deciding whether to stay or go in a marriage and how to make that decision, there's so many things that come into play and it's such a personal decision. But what you wrote is, you know, in when is enough enough, you wrote that, you know, it's time to call it quits when staying feels like you're dying a little inside. You'll know it when you feel it. And I was curious, you know, with all the book is all about, let's, let's look at the beauty of conflict and you have so many wonderful tools in there. But I feel like we need to give just a little bit of attention to that. So where did you come up with that particular, um, I guess, way to look at it? Well, I mean, I think some of it, like I was saying earlier, came from my own experience of dealing with what seemed like like when I had cancer. That, am I going to be living or am I going to be dying? And I really mm -hmm. had to constantly face each, each day and, uh, you know, the choice is mine. And when I stopped living and just focused on, I got to get rid of the cancer, I got to do this and this, I wasn't actually fully in my life. And I really got it, it to, you know, to shift that and go, go towards life. And I think the same thing applies in relationships. Like we really encourage people to think of a relationship as something that's alive and healthy. But if you can't show up in it, it's not alive and healthy. And, you know, so many things we read now talk about, should I be involved with a toxic person or an addict or this and that? And I don't, I often, when we get asked those questions, I'm not going to answer whether you should or shouldn't. I'm the, Because it's really about, are you alive in this or not? And one way to actually, if you think, you know, should I stay or should I go? It's kind of like we think of a relationship. One way of putting it is um, if you give up yourself, it's like a nail in the coffin. And if you have too many nails in the coffin, you're gonna, the, the relationship is dying yeah. and dead. And, and really, so to, to figure out whether you should stay or go, it's not whether you can change your person over there, but it's like, what are you not doing for yourself? And do you feel safe? Do you feel alive? If you don't feel alive, then risk saying what you really want in the relationship rather than just going. So give it your all, lean in, speak up, do what you need to do. And then if that's still not working, then you give your answer. Yes. Then it's time to go. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And cause I, I really, I read that sentence a couple of times and I checked in with myself going back to when I was evaluating whether 
to leave my marriage. And, you know, as beautiful as our post-divorce friendship was, as graceful as the divorce process was, um, comparatively speaking, I look back and there was a part of me that was dying inside. And I feel like even to this day, looking back on it, I don't know that there are parts of me that could have been fully expressed had I stayed in the marriage, even with the healing that we had, you know, uh, available to us and that we took advantage of post-divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really like that way of looking at it. I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I want to make sure before I know we're getting close to the end of the hour, um, you all have some events coming up. So I want to make sure people know how to take advantage of those if they want to connect with you. Um, you've got both an online program starting October 23rd, Relationship Mojo. And then you've also got an in-person Couples Mojo event in Apache Springs, uh, October 25th through 18th. Um, do you want to speak a little bit about what people will get if they want to come out and meet you all in person or online? (laughs) Sure. So, um, the relationship mojo is the eight week course. It's a virtual course online. And it's really for somebody in a relationship that really wants to work on it, especially if your partner doesn't. And it's, it's activating all those me aspects, what, what you can do to support your own aliveness, and then how to actually have those conversations with your partner around those tough topics. And then couples mojo is, um, is actually October 25th through the 28th. And what you we may not know is Susan uses horses to work with people and relationship dynamics. And so we're integrating the horses in with couples because so often couples have a hard time talking about things. And when you start to integrate horses, they seem to settle down. The humans do. <laughs> <laughs> and they have the courage to say things that they hadn't said before, along with us teaching them some tools and ways to do that. Do you want to say anything about the horses, Pete? Well, no, it's just, it's so exciting. Like sometimes horses have a, they're relational animals. They are experts at relationships and they are living herds and they can teach us so much. And we get all caught up in our heads and our stories and horses are very embodied. And I think of being around horses helps people be more embodied. And we were joking with a friend of ours about she wanted to come and, and she said, yes, you know, um, there are things I can't say to my husband. And she said, but maybe I can say him with a horse around. (laughs) Yes. I have found that to be true myself. And I was so, I actually had a question around. I'm so glad you brought up the Equus coaching. Um, that is definitely something that, um, everyone should do at least once. And I love that you're applying it to the couple's work. Um, so we are at the end of the hour. So if you want to join Chris Marie and Susan Clark, of course, we've been talking about the beauty of conflict for couples. And if you want to know more about their work, uh, buy the book or attend any of these events, the online or the in-person with the horses, just go to thriveinc.com. That's thriveinc.com, and you can find out more about what they have going on. Um, Chris, Marie, and Susan, thank you for coming back to Sunny in Seattle. Can I make one other one other pitch? Yes, we've got like 30 seconds. <laughs> well, just that we have our own podcast, The Beauty of Conflict, where we talk about how to deal with conflict at home, at work, and everywhere else in your life. So I think your listeners would, if they're podcasters, they'd probably enjoy The Beauty of Conflict. Absolutely. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And I apologize. I didn't oh, find no. <laughs> bring that out. No worries. But thanks again for joining us, everyone. And uh, I will see you next week. This is Sunny Joy signing off. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.